Hello and welcome to the Jackcast, your Swansea City podcast. I'm Matt Brocco and I'm joined as ever by Stephen Carroll. Evening, Steve. Evening. Well, it's been another topsy-turvy week for the Swans with a defeat, a long overdue win, a clean sheet and even a former player talking about boardroom disagreements with contrast. To help guide us through the sublime and the ridiculous, we're delighted to welcome Ian Mitchell-Moore back onto the pod. Mitch, thanks so much for joining us. Thanks for having me on, Jens. Good to see you both. I think the last time we spoke was just before the World Cup, before Wales jetted off to Qatar. Um, It's fair to say we probably couldn't have foreseen what was just around the corner, both probably for Wales and for Swans. Yeah, I think we were still seeing things like top six and playoffs back then, weren't we, lads? Um, yeah, it's crazy how things have gone since then. And obviously what would happen with Wales at the World Cup and then coming back, January window and everything since. It's been it's been a tricky four or five months, isn't it, lads? But Amar here and all that stuff, we're still here. So, yeah, eight more games to go. <laughs> Not that we're counting. You've come back from uh, you've come back from Qatar and got straight back on your uh, on your day job covering the Swans. January window must have been a bit of a weird one because whilst being the centre of attention, you really had nothing to report in the end. It was a it was a massive farce, wasn't it? Yeah, and ironically, that became the story in itself, and it, you know it, it kept me very very busy, which you know sadly was the case because you, you want to be busy for the right reasons. But it is what it is. We, we all know how bad the window was, and. Yeah, there's there's no excuses for how shambolic it was, and you just have to hope that the lessons are learned now, whether they will be or not. Proof of being the pudding in a couple of months' time, but um, you know, for the benefit of everybody at the club and, and for Russell Martin and the squad and, and the future of the football club, really, will uh, so important to see how they learn from those mistakes and, and build in the next couple of months. Really, it's so huge, and and one thing I think the club desperately needs is, uh, well, any manager will need is backing. And I think that's something that they've really failed to do. And, and look, and you, I wouldn't be a revisionist now and say that I uh, haven't given Russell Martin a lot of criticism. I have. I've done so, whether it be on social media, on this podcast, as Steve will attest to. Um, I think there's a lot of things he could have done a lot better. But you also can't deny the fact that he was being left high and dry without the players and the board have left and let him down. And I think it's been one of those, um, the worst kept secrets in this part of the world, really, boys, isn't it? That we've been looking for something or someone to come in and either take the club off the owner's hands or at least give uh, an injection to it and there are rumours everyone listening to this will know of the rumours I think the most prominent one is uh, a gentleman called Nigel Morris who's uh, front of QED Investments he's half Welsh he's got links to the area um, there's a lot of promise in that um, it just seems at the moment it is still rumours and there's nothing solid to go on but I think everyone or oh, wouldn't that be nice if during the international break now we got something from the uh, from the club or someone to to solidify that up, because I think the club really really needs it. And you know, there's there's no Steve. I mean, there's nothing that this club needs more right now than new owners, right? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, same as you. I've criticised Russell Martin for various decisions that he's made, and rightly so, in my opinion. But I mean, if the manager was to change under this regime, you're going to have the same issues, really, aren't we, in terms of managers not being backed or certain decisions being made that are not with the best interests of the football club. So we do need a change, ideally. Um, 
but obviously we do have to be wary of anybody coming in as well because you you never know if they could be even worse. So I'm always be cautious about this, but hopefully at some point somebody is going to buy us and it will be somebody who has the club's best interests at heart and, and has a degree of ambition because this lot of, you know, the only praise I will give them is I don't think we'll go out of business under their watch, but I do think we'll continue to go backwards, which is quite uninspiring and what nobody wants. And I think everyone's just had a bit of a guts full of them now and a lot of apathy has, has set in really. So yeah, th- this club desperately needs a change of ownership, but only the right one, hopefully. And, you know, the fact is, if this club was to be sold, I'm not sure that uh, our current owners would be bothered who took it as long as they were paying the money that they wanted. So we, we do have to be wary about that. But, but yeah, there is, obviously, we've heard one or two rumours that, uh, that are out there online. But, you know, at the same time, there doesn't seem to be anything concrete there either. So, you know, I guess we've all just got to watch this space with interest at the moment. Mitch, you obviously covered the January transfer window and the follow-up trust interview, which I think you were just ready to log off for the night and that came out and you just had to get back onto your computer and write up a, a quickly written article just to get something out there. It was just so out of the blue, wasn't it? And I think the the, the things that came out from the ownership group that night, the Silverstein and Levy, and who were on the call, um, just spoke volumes of the problems that Swans are facing in the transfer market. There's a complete breakdown in communication there, isn't there? Yeah, exactly. I mean, t- taking back to that night, I mean, I've quickly learned covering Swansea City that you can never get to 8pm and, and crack open a can and put your feet up. You, you never know what's <laughs> going to happen in the evening. So, um, But no, it was a pretty bizarre night and it kind of summed up, you know, the day after we had that press conference with Russell Martin and all his staff at Fairwood. You know, it's, it's only in a small room these days. Um, it fits comfortably about 15, 20 people. And yeah, it was, it was absolutely packed in that room. And there was a lot of anger, frustration from from Russ and the staff joining him sort of showed the same thing. And yeah, it all sort of came into that Birmingham game where I thought this is a big moment and they go and lose it, which ironically, I think that was the turning point of the season for me, that Birmingham game. So, yeah. Um, but yeah, just in terms of like Steve said there with the rumours that have been doing the rounds on social media, watch this space, I think is a fair way of saying, because you certainly don't want to speculate before anything's um, finalised or even remotely close. But, you know, it's no secret the owners want fresh investment into the club. I think the figure mentioned recently was around 16 million or so since Jake Silverstein's come into the club that's been put into the club. And, you know, naturally we've seen their equities grown. The trust share has been diluted all the time. It's down to, I think, just over 13% now. And, the likelihood is that that will continue to decrease as the ownership grow a, a larger stake in the club. So you'd like to think it's just a case of when, not if, in terms of boosting the coffers, because ultimately they do need it. This club is losing money every year, hence why we've seen players being sold left, right and centre. And, you know, there'll probably be more player sales this summer. You know, there's going to be plenty of players leaving anyway with contracts expiring, loans expiring. But, you know, you even after Michael Obafemi and everything else as well, you can't rule out a, a potentially a, a Joel Pirro or an Ollie Cooper or a Benga Bang, whoever it may be, attracting a bit of interest. And, and if the owners need to and decide they need to, sell them up. So, you know, if they can get investment on the face of it, it would be um, a huge, huge plus because the club do need it. But as Steve said, um, if it's more serious than just investment, you've got to make sure the club's in the right hands. And, you know, that could be a, a monumental decision for the club because we all know how things have gone since 2016. 
Yeah, absolutely. Cautious optimism, I think, is the uh, is the buzzword of the day. Um, we hope that there's something. It would be fantastically timed if something did come up between now and Cardiff. Wouldn't that be great? But um, we'll see. We'll see. It's all kept hush-hush behind closed doors at the moment, if there is anything there. Um, let's get down to action on the pitch, gents. There's two games to talk about. Um, we'll start with the ridiculous from... The sublime match with um, Millwall. Uh, I thought Swans were perhaps better than them for around 70 minutes of that game. The, the new shape with four at the back, Harry Darling playing right back. I thought we we were quite um, dominant in that game. But two moments of crazy defending cost us again. Yeah, to be honest, Matt, I think you've summed it up in a nutshell there. They, they were the better side throughout the game, created the better chances. Um, just undone by six minutes of madness, you know, two disgusting goals. They were absolutely horrible to concede. And, you know, you can't go 2 nil down to a team like Millwall away from home. They're very savvy, well-drilled. They know what they're doing. And, and credit to Gary Rowett, he's got a tune out of certain players there that certain other managers haven't been able to do. So you're fighting a, a losing battle when you go down 2 nil there. And, you know, they did push and still probably could have got a point out of it after um, Ryan Manning's goal. But, it wasn't to be, just left themselves with too much to do, but it was an encouraging performance. I, I spoke to Nathan Wood after yesterday's game, the, the Bristol City win, which you know, I'm sure we'll come on to as well. And he said that the players left the pitch at Millwall feeling pleased. You know, they're disappointed to lose, obviously, but they felt like they were on the right track again, playing how, you know, in the style that they did earlier on in the season when they were getting such positive results. So it felt like a win was coming. You know, there was good signs against Middlesbrough. Second half at Luton was improved, but yeah, this was more of a rounded, complete performance. Sadly, undone by two mistakes that's happened too often this season. But yeah, it was a, a good platform to go into the Bristol City game, definitely. Yeah, and Steve, I mean, as Mitch just mentioned there, the, the two mistakes um, were shockers. And I think when the ball, first one, first of all, I think Grimes and Cabango, or maybe Wood, uh, had the, had a foot on the ball at some point while the ball was bouncing around there. But no one took lead. No one took ownership of that situation. You just want someone to go in there and smash that ball in any direction away from the goal, don't you? Even if it goes out for a corner or bounces off someone and goes out for a throw, it doesn't matter. Someone needs to take ownership in that situation, and no one did. Yeah, I mean... Like we've said it so many times, I mean, the amount of bad goals that we've conceded, and you could add both of them at Millwall to the list again, can't you? I mean, you know, that long throw comes in. You've just got to get rid of it. It's as simple as that. We all like to see nice football trying to play out, but in a scrappy situation like that, you've just got to get rid. You've got to smell the danger. It just feels like, on occasions, we, we don't do that very well, do you? But, I mean, if you can see the Dallas minute new with on a Saturday, uh, you know, you'd see people screaming at each other, saying, what the hell is going on? And, you know, we've got to get better at that side of the game, really, haven't we? It's, it's letting us down because the performance at Millwall wasn't bad at all, really. But if you defend the way that we do, you're not going to collect many points. That's the problem. So, you know, it's another lesson for us, really. Um, that first goal was another one you can add to the long list of horrendous goals we've conceded this season. And Mitch, I'm going to hand you the hospital pass here and ask you to talk about that second one because I don't think I can. <laughs> oh, yeah, that is a hospital pass, isn't it, Matthew? Isn't it? Um, <laughs> no, it was just like a catalogue of errors. And, you know, I must admit, when I first saw it in live play, I thought it took a bigger deflection off Ryan Manning. And I didn't realise how poor it was from Andy Fisher. And I saw the replay and, you know, 
it was just one after the other. But even before it got to there, you know, Olivier and Chan should have done better. And it's just all around. It was awful, wasn't it? It was absolutely awful. And, and the biggest frustration, I think, was I look at how well they handled the set pieces in the first half, the long ball threat. Tom Bradshaw didn't get a sniff, and he's been brilliant this season. Um, Zion Fleming, he's been outstanding this season for Millwall. He was virtually anonymous. And then all of a sudden, they're 2-0 down. I think that was the biggest disappointment because they did everything really well. Um, I suppose it was kind of the same in the Middlesbrough game in some ways where they controlled, well, didn't control things because obviously Middlesbrough had a lot of the ball in that first half, but I thought they had a good impression on the game and then all of a sudden it's just those key moments, wasn't it? And yeah, we've said this before, haven't we, lads, this season and that's the, the big learning curve, but you'd like to think players like Nathan Wood, Harry Darling, Ben Cabango, still all relatively young, um, they'll only be better for this, you'd like to think. Russell Martin says that every week anyway, so yeah, hopefully he's, yeah. he's bang on. <laughs> Well, he got the youngest squad in the league. I didn't know I was going to say. <laughs> <laughs> no, I, I, we joke about it, but he's got a point. You know, I mean, it's, it's such an aggressive, bold style, and mistakes like that they're going to cost you. And Swans, you've sadly found out the hard way they bloody costly this season. They really have been. So um, you can only hope they'll improve from it because <laughs> you'd like to think it can't be as bad as it has been in terms of mistakes. It was it was nice to see um, what resembled more of a um, complete performance because if you do and you can't do this in football you can't give opposition two goal leads Steve as as we've said so many times this season but if you remove that six minutes in the game as as Mitch said we handled Millwall really well we dominated the game we weren't um, as as nervy at the back as we have been before and I thought well actually there's a lot to love about that game we just had that horrible six minutes or so um, and it and it it did bode well for the future. Of course, you never know how you're going to bounce back from a game where you feel like you've done really well, but have obviously lost um, through your own errors. Uh, but this one felt a little bit more um, joined up because I think the the change in shape, um, Liam Walsh coming into the team, I think was massive. Um, he's had so many injury problems since joining, but he always likes to play on the half turn, doesn't he? Gives us something different, attacking, and I thought we caused Millwall a lot of problems. I think I came away from that game, and we spoke on the evening, Steve, and I thought, well, there's a lot there to love. Yeah, it was a significant improvement, really, wasn't it? Because we've you know, it, we have been poor, I think, the last few weeks. I think Mitch mentioned that Birmingham game, and I think that's it's probably true that that was a bit of a turning point because it was a game we dominated and, and threw away, really, and heads dropped after that. And we there were quite a few poor defeats. So even though we beat Blackpool, that was poor. But there has been a few more positive signs recently. It's just, the, as I've said, the, the gifting of bad goals that has really reared its, its ugly head. But, I mean, we had a lot of efforts on goal at Millwall and really should have had something. So... But that was quite a big positive, and they didn't really have many chances. I mean, they they'll know that they got a little bit lucky, really. And obviously, we're talking about a side that's you know in the playoffs and is quite tough to beat. I mean, you're never going to get a Gary Rowett side that is particularly free scoring or playing you know great football. But they're always going to be one that struggle to concede goals because they're they're quite compact. So you know, but we went there, and honestly, we did do well against a side that is flying high. So. It was, in terms of that, it's something you can take positives from. But, I mean, the, the big problem, as you say, the, the conceding of goals. And let's be honest, we've got a goalkeeper who, maybe not so much now, but his confidence was on the floor and obviously making a lot of basic mistakes. And 
I actually think he was a little bit lucky to keep his place for the, the Bristol City game. But um, obviously, it, the decision did prove to be the right one in the end. Well, he was very lucky, wasn't he? I mean, I think if you're a goalkeeper that's um, conceding every week, then that's a problem anyway. Dan, you could look at that as a bigger picture. The whole team needs to defend and stuff. But when the ones that are coming in and going in are coming straight down your throat and you're palming them in and you're not being able to get a hand to them, he's conceded three or four of those. Um, Mitch, it's a bit of a debate, I guess. It depends which side you're looking at it from, whether you're looking at it as a fan thinking this just simply isn't good enough or whether you're looking at it from Russell Martin's point of view where he's saying, well, Fish is all we've got. You need to stop online criticism because he's he is on the floor. And, and, and I think a lot of us were saying, give Sondergaard a game because he looks a broken man. He looks terrified on the pitch. Yeah, it was a really tough spell. I mean, the Luton one was just it was just terrible. It, it cost him the game as well, which doesn't help. And then Millwall, you know, that second goal really um, probably killed off that one as well. As, as good as Swansea did react and pull the goal back, but. I think there were the calls for a change were legitimate, but I think the only concern was I don't think the backup option was as viable as we saw at the start of the season when Fisher got dropped after the Stoke game and, and Stephen Bender came in against QPR, kept the clean sheet and it kick-started what was a brilliant run for this one. So I think that one was slightly different to this one. You know, Sondergaard is so inexperienced at senior level. He's still, you know, he's much younger than Stephen Bender and, and Andy Fisher himself as well. He's only just come to the club. It was very much a case of that's an emergency. You know, I know it's not an emergency loan. It was a signing, but that's what it was. He was brought in for that reason. So he's on a short-term deal. He'll be gone in the summer. Andy Fisher's still going to be there and Stephen Bender's going to be injured. So I understand them wanting to show faith in Andy Fisher and, and, and try to help him through that. But had they made the change, nobody would have complained. They'd have understood it. But um, thankfully, from Swansea's perspective and for Andy Fisher and for Russell Martin as well, the faith has, has paid off because, you know, I don't want to say he played brilliantly against Bristol City because he didn't have a lot to do, but everything he did do, he did it brilliantly with the ball at his feet. I thought he was fantastic, as he was against Middlesbrough in fairness. Um, and, and yeah, you just got to hope now two weeks on the training ground and he can finish the season strongly and, and go from there, really. You always want to go into the international break, Steve. Off the back of a positive performance. And if you're going to back that up with a win as well, then the training ground is obviously going to be a very different place to what it's been like the last few months um, down Fairwood. And the Swans did just that uh, on uh, on Sunday with a win at home against Bristol City. Um, I think we were all looking at the two these two games coming up and thinking you can't really predict it because Bristol City obviously means a little bit more than a lot of other games in this division with the proximity. Um, and then when you've got Cardiff coming up, you think, well, the form again goes out the window. Um, but building on Millwall was massive. It was really important that we didn't throw away that performance and we built on it. So Russell Martin, to name an unchanged team, the same shape as he did at Millwall as well, was a show, in, show of faith in those players. And um, it paid off, and it paid off with a, one of the more convincing wins this season. Yeah, it did. I mean, we, obviously, we don't have a lot of options at the moment because obviously we've got a couple of players, you know, banned as well, haven't we? So it was a difficult one. But I, I did think the decision to to go more towards the two up front was the right thing because if you look at towards the end of last year, where you know, we beat Watford convincingly, and Callum was in the team, and then we played quite well against Burnley. Um, I know we lost, but then. Similar Sunderland, we've won. We've had a draw at QPR. We're playing with two up front. And, you know, since we changed that is when it, it 
win a little bit more pear shape. So I do think we it was the right decision really to to go back towards that. And as you say, we did end up winning quite convincingly. I must admit, I thought the opposition, Bristol City, were particularly poor. I mean, as Mitch has alluded to, I mean, Andy Fisher wasn't really tested, was he? So, I mean, from their point of view, it's quite surprising that they didn't look at some of the clips and think, right, well, let's put them under a bit of pressure. But they, they just didn't do it, did they? So, but we did dominate the game. And like I say, we've, we've won quite, quite comfortably. We've scored a couple of nice goals. I mean, Cullen has taken his... His goal, well, I, I still don't think he's necessarily a top player or anything, but he does have a great knack for for finding the back of the net, which is is vital, really. So, you know, he's put us on our way, and and Chan had one of his best games for us yesterday, and he's popped up with a goal. It would just be so good if the man could actually do it consistently, because there is no question in his ability, but his application isn't always there, and it's so annoying because this is a player that could be one of the best in the division if he really wanted to be. So, you know, when he sets the standard like that, you look at him thinking, right, we need that every week because literally if he did, then he wouldn't be at Swansea. We'd be able to sell him and make a few quid, but also we'd, we'd be a better team for the time that he was here. So, yeah, there was there was a lot of positives, I think, to take from Bristol. And we just, I think everyone's just had that lift now, haven't they? Because it's tough when you're losing every week. It doesn't matter what level you're playing at. If you're, if you're not getting results, it's, it's just tough. And I think the fan base have found it tough since what happened in, in January and obviously we haven't had a lot to shout about since then so yeah it's the best day we've had for a good while certainly the best day at home this year by uh, quite a margin I would say so yeah it's just um, it's just nice to have that feeling now going into the international break and I don't think anyone's dreading what's necessarily coming uh, in the next fixture now like they, they were before so yeah just the lift that we all needed I think Yeah um, Mitch you know, I think fans have come around to um, Liam Cullen being in that starting eleven and pushing his way into uh, a more permanent thinking in in, in Russell Martin's plans. Um, as as Steve said, a lot of fans still don't think he's necessarily the quality of a championship striker, but he's got a knack. He knows where to be. He scored a couple of goals just being in the right place at the right time. I think he scored three or four just being around the six-yard box where the ball's dropped. Um, a couple that's just bounced off the post at him as well. Uh, Cullen gets goals. <laughs> yeah, regardless of your view on, on Liam Cullen in terms of his ability and what level he should be playing at, I nobody can doubt the effort, the endeavour and you know, sometimes when you're in a rut, you need players like that just to drag you through it, and it helps that you can you can finish as well. I mean, the one against Bristol City was that's a brilliant finish. He's he's read the the run from Encham well, no pass from Encham who was excellent. Like Steve said, he was brilliant, one of his best games, probably his best game this season, or maybe even his best for Swansea. Um, and I still didn't give him star man. I feel horrendous. I gave it to Nathan Wood. Maybe with hindsight, I should have changed that. But yeah, hands up there. Apologies, Olivier. Um, but no, you know, it was, it was a fantastic finish from him and, and, and Steve alluded to it. I thought he was very unfortunate to to get dropped after he had such a good run. It was, was it six goals in something like eight games or, or something on those lines? And and then, you know, he, he was starting off the bench, only getting a couple of minutes here and there. And weirdly, it dovetailed with, with Swansea's slide, really, after the January window. So I thought he was very unfortunate, but nice to see him get back on the score sheet because... You know, it means so much to him. I've been lucky to interview him a few times and, yeah, he adores the football club. He really does. It means the world to him and to see him sort of put in such a good effort, play a part in a win and get a goal as well was was, was great. 
Yeah, it was. And and I mean, going into halftime with that win, uh, that lead, Steve, you're thinking, um, well, I'm sure you're thinking like the rest of us, you know, that means very little given Swansea's in form to go in with a lead. And the second half, sometimes we come out and uh, just don't put for form and concede. So to see us um, build on it, and again, no question marks over Bristol City's application because they were quite poor, um, but to see us build on it and add a second at a crucial point to the game because I think you're, as you're reaching the last 10 minutes, the team who haven't won in over a month, nerves are naturally going to set in despite how good the performance was. It wouldn't have mattered. Um, and the coolest man on the pitch, I was screaming at him to uh, hit that one first time, but he's uh, took it under his control, taking a touch and then uh, rifled it home. Olivia and Cham seals the points. Yeah, as you say, I mean, there was. I think that was just what we needed when that second goal because you can only imagine how jittery we, we all would have been in the stand if we were, were hanging on given our recent record so it was just nice to get that second and even though obviously we've, we have let two goal leads slip this season it, it did just feel a bit like right that should seal the game here because the opposition really aren't offering anything and yeah it's, it ended up being comfortable didn't it of course there was the, the offside goal but to be fair we were quite clever with that it's, when we started it at Millwall I remember we discussed it during the game yesterday about yeah. playing this higher line from like free kicks that could come into the box and because obviously the goalkeeper doesn't like coming for crosses. So by doing that, obviously we're, we're, we're given the opportunity to, you know, it's going to be a lot harder for the opposition to score ahead or straight from a cross from a free kick. So that was quite a good idea, I think, something we should stick with, because I think that we're far more likely to be successful with that. I mean, ideally you'd always want a goalkeeper that will come and command the area and, and take crosses, take the pressure off the defence. But we know this goalkeeper um, isn't, you know, really capable of doing that. So I think this is a, a good alternative plan to to help us out, really. Yeah, it's certainly, you know, in the situation like we've been in, you want as few people around the goalkeeper in the six-yard box as possible. So Highline certainly welcomes that and, and from set pieces and stuff like that. Um, Mitch, on, on terms of the shape, um, we saw the change uh, for, for the last week or so, forced because of the uh, suspensions and uh, we've had, which has kept us um, a little bit threadbare. But we've had this before where Russell Martin maybe under a bit of pressure uh, just after that Stoke game tweaked it a little bit then we got that very impressive run of wins I think seven and nine um, and then we saw the old ways creeping back in and obviously the results uh, tailed off then this feels like it could be different and I don't want to count my chickens yet but there's a lot there's a lot of balance in this I know whether Harry Darling is going to keep his place at right back, that's up for debate. Um, I personally think he should. I mean, I don't think there should be any changes from the team that aren't um, enforced. Um, but going up the field as well, it's so nice to see us with that threat going forward that puts the pressure on the opposition rather than having two or three defensive players. When you talk about Grimes and Fulton and Allen in the same team, all have their individual qualities there, Mitch. But it's a different proposition when you've got two up front and you've got Kendall Walsh and Cham in behind. The opposition have to worry about you a little bit more and there's a lot of dynamism up there, isn't there? Yeah, exactly. And, you know, you've answered the question I was going to ask you both there in terms of what you'd do for the Cardiff game because, you know, on the back of a, an impressive win, a clean sheet and a good performance at Millwall despite the result, I mean, do you know should there be changes? And it was something I asked 
Russell Martin about after the Bristol City game yesterday because, you know, with Joel Latibaudier and Jay Fulton coming back from suspension, Joe Allen will be back as well, hopefully. So there's some good options in there now. And it'll be really interesting to see if he does make changes because, you know, I think in an ideal world, he'd like to have Jay Fulton or certainly Joe Allen in, that, in there as well, just because of the experience that they give you in what will be in a, a hostile atmosphere, a derby away from home as well. But then who do you take out? You know, I think Liam Walsh has been brilliant in the last two games. So nice to see him back from injury. Um, Olivier and Cham, we've discussed him already. You know, who do you drop? It's a tough one. Harry Darling, I felt for him when he got put at right back, but he performed really well in the two games that he's been there. And again, he's another, you know, centre-back by trade, but he deserves to keep his place with the way he's performed in the last two matches. So, yeah, some big, big calls for Russell Martin to make. And I'll be honest, I think anybody who got dropped, you know, as long as they were fully fit and stuff, if they were dropped and there was a change, I think they'd feel really hard done by. So, really intrigued to see how he goes for that lineup in in the Cardiff game. Well, Steve, I think it's interesting. Um, as, as Mitch alluded to there, you've come off the back of a long overdue win with the performance to match as well. I think he, he opens himself up to a, a whole heap of criticism if he makes the change. And it doesn't pay off if he takes off a Kundle or a Walsh and then puts in Fulton and we don't get the performance, then the obvious question would be, why have you changed the team? Why have you changed the winning team? Do you think it's more likely that um, Russell Martin will play in the same way that he's played at home to Bristol City, away to Cardiff? Or is that, or is he likely to be a little bit more defensive away to our biggest rivals? It's a good question. I, I genuinely don't know. I mean, he can be unpredictable at times. Um one thing we do have to bear in mind is that Cham is going on international duty to Africa. And obviously, depends on when he comes back, that could impact his thinking as well. I mean, I've just talked him up, obviously, thinking he's, he's played really well and, and stuff like that. But if, if he doesn't come back until Thursday evening or something like that, then, you know, is he going to start? I'm not certain. But I suppose this is the thing of, we haven't talked about Ollie Cooper yet, really, have we? And obviously, he would be playing if he hadn't got injured. So, I could see him coming in for Uncham possibly in that situation. Um, but I, I think he should stick with what we've got. We've, we've done quite well. I think with Darling, quite nice to have a player that can, you know, he's always been quite good going forward, isn't he? Quite often love a dribble forward or anything like that. You know, I'm sick of talking about Latibold, yeah. Um, I don't want him in the team. Uh, I don't want Sorinola in there either. I, I think someone like Walsh certainly deserves to keep his place. He's done well since he's come in, so... I think, honestly, leave it as it is. I mean, we've got, like I say, Fulton and Allen, they can come on the bench. So we do then have a few more options. I, I really think he should leave it as it is, but I wouldn't be too shocked if one or two got dropped. I mean, I think if he does change anything, I think Cullen could be one of the ones that ends up on the bench, which would be harsh, but that wouldn't shock me too much. I mean, you know, we'll have to um, we'll have to wait and see. I suppose it depends how, how brave Martin decides to be on the day. We talk about the, the change in shape, Mitch, and um, what surprised me. Well, it didn't really surprise me, but it was uh, it was still nice to see is that we topped the division for winning aerial duels on the weekend, would you believe, which is something which we probably haven't done all season. Um, and I personally, and you may look at this very differently, attribute that to having two centre-backs rather than the three slash five at the back, depending on, I mean, I think it's more three at the back, isn't it? Because they play so high, the wing backs, but having the, the flat back four, you get your man to mark. There's no crossing over lines. There's no areas of indecision between the back two. And 
and we saw it against Millwall as well, dealing with that um, ball, barring the, the long throw which led to the opener, we, we dealt with the threat in both games, the aerial ball, very well. Yeah, that you're right to highlight that because it was something that was it really crippled them last season at times and you know they wanted to bring in a bit more height, physical presence and stature and they've certainly got that in Harry Darling and, and Nathan Wood as well. So um, and it helps that they are football orientated, you know, in terms of the style they want to play. You know, Harry Darling obviously coming from MK Dons knew what it was all about and the Russell Martin. So he was halfway there already. So that was obviously something they wanted to address. But yeah, it is quite a peculiar stat that you, you probably wouldn't think that given the way they play and, and dominate the ball. But um, yeah, we, we touched upon it already. That first half, I think Ben Cabango was all over Tom Bradshaw. Bradshaw didn't get a sniff and beating him in the air. And I think they were good again yesterday when Bristol City were direct. So um, it is encouraging if, if they need to do that side of the game. They've shown long spells this season that they can do it but yeah like you said that goal um, at Millwall was one of those moments where it's just a bit too sloppy and they need to sharpen that up but hopefully you would like to think that'll just come with experience really you know particularly the back line because it's ridiculously young you're even further up the pitch midfield's very experienced wing back you know you've had Ryan Manning or you know the other side's a little bit younger but yeah, that, that back three or set the set back pairing, whichever system he's played, it's always been incredibly young, average age of 21, 22, which for a championship player, centre back going up against seasoned strikers that are, you know, 27, 28, 29. It's, it's not easy, is it? No. Um, and if there's any style of play in world football, Steve, that needs confidence to play it, is this one, isn't it? And I think that's where. Um, we may hopefully see the benefit of getting that monkey off our back um, with the win that was, uh, let's be honest, there's been a lot of unrest around the club. Um, and and we've we've said it on this podcast, we've, we've spoken about it in, in person as well. It, it just, something needed to change drastically because we were watching the same opera play out every week and it was just a case of well we see here the change in shape the extra man in the in the final third there has, has given us that extra bit of edge um and we've we've seen in two positive performances there um that changes the outlook for cardiff altogether for me going into the international break off the back of a win a good performance steve it's it's a different atmosphere at the club now yeah i think there is i mean from my point of view there was always that fear as well of Obviously, if they were to do well on the weekend, um, obviously they, they didn't, did they? Or they sort of did before. Uh, <laughs> We're going to talk about that in a minute. <laughs> okay. Um, yeah, well, there was the fear that they could go above us, obviously, which has now been taken away, isn't it? So that's like a bit of a relief. And, you know, you don't want to be going into a derby on horrendous run of form and, and not playing well, do you? I know the form can go off and go out the window, but we've all been going up there thinking, oh, God, this this is the day where they get again some sort of revenge for you know the the Indian summer that we've been, had over them for the last few years. But I think now I'm not necessarily saying it's going to go our way, but at the same time I think everyone does now just feel a little bit more optimistic about our chances in that game. So I think that's the the most important thing really, isn't it? There would be nothing worse than what is a very long day going on the bus up to Cardiff thinking that it's going to go badly. So I think now everyone will have a bit more optimism and hopefully be looking forward to it and uh, you know a doob doob is potentially up for grabs yeah history twice over Um, Mitch um, Cardiff uh, away at Rotherham Um, 
bit of a comedy spectacle there at halftime. I think it was uh, one of the most bizarre things I've ever seen. Um, dry in the first half and unplayable by the 47th minute. Yeah, we were, we were chatting about this briefly before we started recording and it was, it was staggering really. I had a rare Saturday off because the Swans played on a Sunday so I was watching it on, on Sky Sports News unfolding and, and just seeing the pictures and the videos that came through. It was it was staggering, really. Don't get me wrong; it was it was an unbelievable downpour. But for for a championship pitch, like Steve said beforehand, it, to not be able to withstand that, it's a bit concerning. And then you know there's a bit of shenanigans going on after that. So um, yeah, look, with with the fact that they were winning the game one nil, by all accounts they were deservedly ahead as well. They'd have been thrilled to come into the derby with a win, a clean sheet, and you know just having that bigger buffer over the relegation zone. Whereas now they're sort of controversy around that there's a bit of anger and disappointment and you know look they'll want to use it as fuel to, to beat Swansea but at the same time it could go the other way and they're going to be looking over their shoulders because that gap is very very small between them and the bottom three now and you know they've been given a bit of a touch with Wigan having a points deduction but they're still Huddersfield and, and Blackpool fighting for their lives so um, yeah whether they feel the pressure or not who knows but there's, there's certainly a lot on it for, for Cardiff going into this game well Mitch has just mentioned there, Steve, what my next point was going to be, which was how do Cardiff react to that? Because in one hand, they can feel the injustice and use that as a kind of motivational tool to come out all guns blazing um, in a couple of weeks. Uh, on the other hand, they saw that as um, a good first half, an opportunity to uh, pull away from the bottom three. Um, Swans effectively, I mean, there were whispers, we're going to get dragged into relegation battle um, and potentially, we, we've got to play Wigan and Huddersfield, of course, potentially down the line, if we still don't pick up the wins, then that could have come to fruition. I feel like the win on Sunday has really given us that vital breathing space, an opportunity for us to get a bit of confidence, relax a little bit and just take, like I said earlier, take the monkey off the back. But how did Cardiff deal with that bizarre set of circumstances, the distraction of what's going on with the club lodging complaints or whatever's going to go on there and media journalists running their mouths off on uh, social media talking about uh, this, that and the other. You have to wonder how that distraction plays into um, Lemucci's team. Yeah, um, it's an interesting one really, isn't it? Because I mean, you've got... It might not actually be good that Cardiff have got two weeks to stew in it. I mean, it feels like a long time to... It might calm down by then in some ways. But, um, you know, um, from their point of view, they'll feel very hard done by, understandably so. And, I mean, I know that they're obviously livid about the the scenes that it looked like Rotherham were particularly desperate to get the game on. But, I mean, I can understand that's wound them up. But I think, realistically, when you look at that pitch, it was not playable anyway. I think the main criticism from Cardiff should be aimed at the fact that how can a championship pitch deteriorate so quickly with some rain so I think that would be a very legitimate argument but I mean the the other stuff is more like an irritation I think rather than having a, a major effect I, I really don't think it has I think the pitch is in so much trouble that you know whatever would have happened that the game wasn't couldn't carry on so I mean they'll you'd be furious wouldn't you I mean I think if it was us we'd be livid we think you've gone all that so way the sprinklers come on as well <laughs> yeah I know um I mean, you wonder with that if obviously they were scheduled to come on before they thought they were going to have rain or something. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, I mean, like all, all these things, they just add to the thing. And I mean, you can only imagine if you're on a bus back up, uh, home from there as a Cardiff fan, the amount of moaning and anger must have been off the scale. And, you know, I can I can understand why, even though, of course, we, we do find it quite amusing uh, in this part of the world. But, 
yeah, I mean, they, they need to try and use it as fuel, don't they, to go, right, we're going to take it out on the next opponent. And obviously, when they play Rotherham as well, they should be thinking the same thing, right, we'll, the, the aim almost of trying to drag them into the relegation battle as well as trying to save themselves, really. But, um, look, it's unfortunately the, the heavens open, it's one of those things, and they're going to have to go again, aren't they, at some point? But, um, yeah, like I said, from our point of view, um, we can only really worry about ourselves. And the good thing is we've won, obviously, because the game is off as well now. They can't go above us. And, you know, if we were to lose, that added incentive for them would have been horrendous for us if that had happened as well. So, you know, now, even if they beat us, they won't go above us. So that's got to be a good thing. Yeah, Mitch, it felt different. Um, well, yesterday as it was, but uh, Sunday, for uh, people listening, um, the manner of the win was almost as important as getting the win, wasn't it? I mean, we talk, um, we talked a few weeks ago on this podcast about the about the Blackpool home game, and I've never seen a win so roundly disgusted with the home fans as that one. You know, when people were gesticulating at the players on the pitch when we were actually winning a game. Um, because of the manner of it, because of the fact that we were under the cosh against 10 men, a team that couldn't, uh, you know, had, hadn't won a game in so long. Um, it did feel like even winning that game, it felt like it was no real light at the end of the tunnel, nothing to cling on to. Whereas, yes, they felt like, right, there are building blocks here now. Yeah, that, that Blackpool game really sort of summed up how just angry and, and fed up everybody had got you're certainly the fans anyway it's just a shame because first half I thought they were excellent in that game they're really really good and should have been a bit further clear and yeah we all know how the second half unfolded it was very nervy and you know the, the jitters and the jeers started coming and ultimately they held on and got the win but you know if you're in fifth or sixth place and you win like that the fans are buzzing because it keeps you yeah. in the mix and you need to win ugly sometimes and it's one of the things that this team maybe needs to develop um uh, under Russell Martin but um, you know to, to win against Bristol City was crucial that's all that mattered for me um, but to do it in the way that they did is a massive massive bonus because you know you've used the word multiple times on the pod already confidence this team is so much better when they play with confidence and credit to the fans you know I, I've written various things about the the atmosphere from the, the Rotherham game the Stoke games and Russell Martin's been asked about it and he's answered questions on it but the atmosphere against Bristol City was it was fantastic and it probably helped that there was a good away following. It's, you know, seven-side derby, if you want to call it that. I don't know how many people still call it that or not, but... Um, That's what you went Cardiff player. <laughs> um, but yeah, it was, there was certainly, it just felt like a bit more like the old Swans, you know, that we saw earlier on in the season. So um, it, it, it played a big part to win with confidence must have been a big relief for the players and it just settles everybody down more than anything, doesn't it, lads? definitely does um as you said steve it does put the leave cardiff in a precarious position um just three points outside the playoffs they'll obviously know the uh the outcome of the efl's decision following the postponement the rotherham game and they'll probably end up having to play a, a midweek game in the middle of a packed schedule in late april or something like that now so it's going to be um another fixture from them to contest but um Sam Rilamucci there, he's, he's brought a sense of, um, should we say, a little bit more stability at that club at the moment. He, he's, he's got a little bit of a tune out to them, certainly more than they had previously. And maybe now they're looking like um, they, they're running like a team that could potentially stay up. They are still very, very much in the relegation mix. Yeah, I mean, they're, they're 
Yeah, I mean, it, it does look like a reasonable appointment, at least, doesn't it? I mean, the last couple have been quite inexperienced managers, you know, but also have probably not had, well, Steve Morrison didn't get a great deal of an opportunity considering how many players he brought in. And then obviously it looked like someone a bit more experienced would replace him. And then Mark Hudson was caretaker and then obviously ended up getting the job full time. I mean, it's just the usual Cardiff shambles, really, isn't it? So, you know, but I think they have made what looks like a good appointment this time. So, Obviously, they're, they're struggling, but they'll just be focusing on if they can stay up, then maybe next season it will, it'll get better. But um, I think the, the big problem for Cardiff has been scoring goals, and I think it's under 30 goals. They were the lowest scorers in the league. Yeah, they are, so, yeah 28 yeah. goals, it's it's horrendous. Yeah, exactly. So, I mean, if you, you're going to have to have a great defence team to get anywhere near out of it, aren't you, when you, you can't hit a barn door, really. So, um that obviously has been a, a big problem for Cardiff and um, it's one they're going to need to to address. But um, they have picked up, haven't they? They had a, those couple of wins back-to-back, I think, away to Birmingham and home to Red in a few weeks back. And obviously, I think they drew with West Brom in the week. They had that. Obviously, they, they made well of one at Rotherham. They were certainly in the position to do so before the inevitable did happen, as we've just talked about. So they have um, picked up. I mean, a few weeks back, they looked like they could be doomed to me, but... They may well get away with it now because the teams at the bottom have, have struggled for results recently, haven't they? But um, it is going to be a big week for Cardiff when they play us because just after that, they then have Blackpool away, I think. So, yeah, they. I mean, if they were to get two wins, they'd be pretty much safe, I would have thought, after that. But um, hopefully it'll be um, two defeats because uh, I can't bear the idea of Blackpool going down. <laughs> um, Mitch, I mean... Cardiff probably when they released their tickets on sale, uh, they were probably smelling blood. The Cardiff fancy and Swans nose diving the way they were, and um, Cardiff picking up the odd result here and there, and looking like they could uh, finally get one over on us. Um, they've almost sold out. There would be the biggest crowd the Cardiff have had at home for many a year, I'm sure. Um, I think even the Vincent Tan Ego stand might be opening up uh, for this one um, because of the, uh, the the ticket demands at the, at the CCS. This uh, obviously Swans will sell out as we always do. It promises to be a cracking atmosphere. Yeah, I mean Swans getting the win that they needed, and you know this fiction needs no building up. But going into it with the back of a a good win against Bristol City, that'll do them the world of good. And like you said before that game, I think a lot of fans might have been dreading going there with um, the way things have gone. But no, I think that's going to completely change now. And two weeks of international break will just sort of whet the appetite even more. And then like you say on the flip side, like Steve's already mentioned, Cardiff have picked up under Sabri Lamucci, you know, a good result at home to, to West Brom last time out. Um, beating Reading, beat Birmingham away as well. So you know they've certainly improved. They've steadied the ship, and um, yeah, it promises to be a good atmosphere. There's a lot riding on it for, for Cardiff, obviously for Swans. Really, it's you know in terms of league position, it means nothing really. But you know there's a, a do do at stake. So um, yeah, who knows? If another four nil wouldn't go amiss. But yeah, I think you know you, you mentioned Cardiff's goal scoring record. It's it's atrocious, even with Sorry Carver coming in, he shipped in with a few goals. Connor Wickham, obviously, we all know how much he struggled with injuries and whatnot. And Mark Harris, um, you know, he's not even getting a look in at the moment. So, you know, they're still trying to find their feet in terms of the forward options and it shows the importance of defending well. Again, the Swansea cut out those mistakes and if they can control possession and, and, and guide the game how they have done in the last three under Russell Martin against Cardiff, then. They've got every chance of making it four in a row and the um, the current coaching staff. 
Same team, Steve. Yeah, as I said, we've got to, we've got to stick with it, haven't we? Um, you know, we've been trying to find the formula, and obviously we we played the same team for the last two games. The performance has been a lot better. So, yeah, um, I, I don't see how you can change it unless there's situation with an injury or or anything like that. Or like I said, with Cham, if he's not, if he comes back late, maybe from international duty or anything like that. So, yeah, um, you know, as far as I'm concerned, those eleven should be playing. Certainly, certainly uh, looking now like um, it's a lot of clamour for tickets from uh, this part of the world following that win at home to Bristol City. But it will be after an international break. Um, It'll be eagerly awaiting that one. But in the meantime, we turn our attention to Wales. Um, Mitch, you're going away to uh, Croatia and Steve, you are as well, uh, to watch Wales kick off their Euro qualifiers. And Mitch, the start of a new era for Wales. Yeah, Steve gets the, the lovely pleasure of having me on the same flight as him on Friday morning, so that'll be a, that'll be a good laugh. Um, but no, it's, I'm looking forward to it. Um, spoke to Aaron Ramsey this morning at the Vale on, on Monday morning as, as we're recording it. Um, and he was in good spirits, obviously getting the captaincy. You know, I think there were big fears that he might have joined the likes of Gareth Bale and Johnny Williams, Chris Gunter, Joe Allen in, in retiring, but thankfully he hasn't because, you know, I know he's had a really tough time with injuries. He had a really poor World Cup in many aspects and so did Wales as a team, let's be honest, but let's be, he's still got that real quality that we don't have enough of. So to keep players like that is a massive, massive bonus and yeah, a new era. We don't have much hope going into the Croatia game, let's be honest. If we, were, if we got beat, nobody would be surprised. As long as we can try and be competitive and and hopefully not take a, a hammering, and then it's all on that Latvia game for me. You know, if you can get a win there, three points from six in this um, block of fixtures would probably be about right, really. So yeah, a lot to look forward to, and a group that you know realistically we can fight for second, despite the fact that we've lost such key players in in particularly um, Bale and Allen, but you know with players like Brennan Johnson, uh, the form he's in in the Premier League. Ollie Cooper coming in, you know, we'll, we know all about him and what he can bring if he gets given a chance. You just want to see a little bit more um, from Dan James, uh, Harry Wilson, these sort of players who aren't playing much at club level. So if they can turn up for Wales and, and sort of turn it back on again, then, you know, we've got every chance of taking second spot ahead of probably Turkey, really. Yeah, there's there's a lot of, uh, I guess, it was a lot of sadness, Steve, when um, Bale and Allen announced their retirements. Uh, I think from that perspective, um, there was always the door open, you'd think, for Ramsey, because more than them two even, his injury problems more recently have almost made him unplayable out in France. And you've kind of seen him come in and promise that maybe he'll look like he'll get four or five games in a row and then gets injured again. And you're thinking, oh, he might well hang up his boots here. I was actually surprised um, that he was given the captaincy, but uh, you think it was a no-brainer. Yeah, well, he's the vice captain, so if he was going to carry on, then I'm not surprised in the slightest that he had the captaincy. Obviously, he, he had it many years ago where, for me, he was too young, and I think that was probably the view of a lot of people. It was a bit of a surprise at that point, but it does seem the more sensible choice now, I think. I mean, you know, he is still a, a huge player for us, and yeah, I I thought if he was going to carry on, then there was no way that he would carry on and that he wouldn't have been offered the captaincy, so... He has been. Like, I can't really argue with it. I think Ben Davis as vice captain is is also the right move. Um, I'm just pleased he didn't retire because 
I mean, it's Bale is a who's loss. Let's not dress it up, even though he's become more of a moments man. I mean, but they will never. I could live another hundred years. I'll never see anyone like Gareth Bale for Wales again. I don't think. But um, obviously Joe Allen retiring is a loss. I mean, he's unfortunately it really feels like injuries are, are starting to hamper him a lot now. So it's, I understand why he's made that decision as well. As much as it's a shame. Um, obviously I think Gunter and Williams not so much. I mean, I think they were always squad people. Now they weren't going to play a great deal. So. I think that makes more sense. Um, but I think Ramsey is still a big player for Wales and I think it is understandable. He's got the captaincy. There's no complaints for me. So I'm just glad he's still there because I look at that midfield area now and I think if he had retired, you know, it would really be looking quite weak. So it's important that he's he's still there for now. I think, you know, I don't think he'll go beyond this current campaign, but I certainly think he can still be effective for us and, and hopefully help us to, um, to qualify for... Um, our third Euros in a, in a row it would be. Mm, I wonder if that may have been part of a conversation that was had behind closed doors following Alan and uh, Bale's retirements that the captaincy was waiting and ready for him. Um, we, I don't know. I'm not in those conversations, but it's very interesting. The man I was actually thinking might get offered it, particularly for the um, the medium-term future for Wales. Uh, he's got the vice-captaincy, Mitch, Ben Davis. He's out injured. That's a, that's a massive blow. When you're talking about bringing in new blood and youngsters and trying to kickstart a new era, he's the sort of leader on a pitch that really can make all the difference. Yeah, you look at the squad that we've got now and if everyone's fully fit, he probably is the first name on the team sheet. Maybe, you know, Aaron Ramsey, or Joe, Joe Rodens, these sort of players, Nico Williams, you know, they're always going to be in the mix. But Ben Davis, with his experience, he's played at the top level with Spurs for such a long time. And even before that, with Swansea, playing in the Premier League as well. So, um, and he's still, is he still under 30 or is he 30 now? I'm not sure. So he's still got plenty of life in his legs yet. So, um, I was a little bit surprised, as much as Steve says um, that Aaron Ramsey was a no-brainer. I totally understand that because he's such a quality player. But I did, I was torn between Aaron and, and Ben Davis for the captaincy. And, you know, it's yeah. no surprise to see that Aaron got it and, and Ben got the the vice captaincy. So yeah, huge loss. Um, him going out, Morgan Fox from Stoke comes in, and yeah, it'd be interesting to see what he goes with. Does he drop Ethan Ampadu deeper, which might be a risk given the lack of midfield options we've got. You can always play Tom Lockyer there, probably with um, Chris Mepp and, and Joe Roden, perhaps. So, yeah, um, it's not just the Swans are intrigued to see how they line up. It'd be interesting to see what Rob Page does, certainly in the in the first game and definitely in the Latvia game where he probably wants to be a little bit more attack-minded against a, a weaker team at home as well. Well, I was just about to come on to that, Steve. The idea of um, this new blood, some of the exciting players that maybe didn't necessarily get the minutes they would have hoped for in the World Cup, um, where Paige opted for experience. Um, but you do have the likes of uh, Ollie Cooper coming into this squad now. And if he's going to get minutes and he's going to get game time, you'd think maybe Latvia at home where he's looking to maybe push and press and and. Uh, we need to win those sorts of games if we're going to qualify. Um, maybe a more attacking lineup. Yeah, you would have thought so. I mean, I can, you know, I, I'm half expecting us to go with the wing backs in Croatia and then probably more with Johnson up front. But I could maybe see in the other game, it could be four at the back and then maybe a 4 2 3 1 type thing. It, it could be um, James might then come into the team and you never know. Cooper could even play as a number 10. I don't think he'll start, but you do have those options then. So, it will be interesting to see how Page decides to to go with it. As you say, I think he made a lot of mistakes in the World Cup. It's interesting to see, obviously, the backroom team has, has now changed a bit. So 
I just hope now we come up with an actual game plan rather than maybe trying to rely on Bale to, you know, a couple of moments of magic, like what happened in the Austria game, for example, where he did score two outrageous goals. But um, I think now we need to have more of a, a tactical plan and a, a setup and a philosophy. I think that's what is going to be successful for us if we're going to do well now. So I'm just hoping he's he's been working on that. He's had a lot of time to think about it since the World Cup. So, you know, and I still think, you know, as much as we're going to be hurt by the loss of some players, I mean, like Brennan Johnson has had a great season, for example. So now there genuinely is this opportunity for him to stake a claim to, to be an automatic pick. And for me, it would be ridiculous if he didn't play now. So there's those options as well now, isn't it? But I think that the key areas now, as, as we've discussed, Ben Davis being out, that, that is tricky. So Lockyer can come in or Cabango potentially, obviously. And then you don't really want to move Ampadu back there now because the loss of Joe Allen. So he needs to go there. And you're looking then, is, is someone like Joe Morell going to play, for example? Because at least he'll keep the discipline of, of sitting in position where... I think that was a mistake that we made in the World Cup, really trying to maybe put too many attacking players in the team. And if we'd had a more disciplined midfielder playing, certainly in the first two games, then we may have come away with better results and certainly played a bit better because we would have given our attacking players a bit more of a license rather than them leaving us a little bit short. So I think that's the the key to it. Have we, you know, do we now have a, a proper plan rather than trying to rely on? individual so it is going to be interesting but I mean the Croatia game as, as Mitch has already said I mean any sort of result there would be brilliant I'm just hoping that we can give them a game and I can see positives going forward but I mean realistically Latvia has to be considered as a must win then I mean, if we don't win that game you're already up against it so um, yeah the the priority is is that second game um, but I think it's a good thing just to get Croatia out of the way early on really away from home because it is the toughest game in the group, and um, you know, once that's gone, we can you know focus on the games that the ones that will be very important in terms of if we're going to qualify or not. I'll take you on the spot, Mitch. Apologies. Um, is Rob Page going to get us to another Euros? Yeah, that's a brutal question. Um, <laughs> I think he will. I think there's enough in this squad if we can keep those players that we've mentioned fit. But I think the worry is. You take out one or two now, and you know in the past it always used to be if you lose Bale, we're in deep trouble. If you lose Ramsey, we're in deep trouble. But we've, we've got beyond that phase because we had such good depth that was brought through by Chris Coleman and then Ryan Giggs evolved it as well, and Rob Page certainly reaped the rewards of it. I think we're just in a far better place now. You know, we're talking about losing Ben Davis. Well, you've still got some options in there that we can, you know, in, in that sort of back three, or if he, if that's the way he goes quality wing-backs in Connor Roberts and Nico Williams. Um, and then, you know, we've already mentioned Brennan Johnson, what season he's having. He can go the Kiefer Moore route if he wants. So, you know, there are options for him. So, you know, you take one or two out and you can still get by, which we certainly couldn't do, you know, seven, eight years ago. So, yeah, it's going to be tight. I think it's really going to come down to those games with Turkey. I, I feel, you know, if you can go to Turkey in June and, and get, a, get a draw there and it would hopefully set up a nice game at home against them in the last game in November, a bit like the Hungary game when we qualified for Euro 2020. So, yeah, go on. I'll stick my neck on the line. I'll be positive and say we'll, we'll nick second place. Well, Steve, you're known on this podcast for being really positive as well, just like me. Um, <laughs> are you uh, are you sharing Mitch's optimism? I am optimistic because I do think that we've had quite a kind draw, if I'm honest. Um like I look at England, who were also a second seed. They've been paired with Italy and Ukraine. 
Now, if that was us, I'd be very concerned because we look at the way that Ukraine, you know, outplayed us really in that playoff final and they were the better side. They should really have gone through, but luckily it was our night. Um, but whereas, look, getting Armenia as a third seed, I mean, that is lucky to say the least. But also Turkey as a fourth. I mean, that maybe that's that looks unlucky possibly, but Turkey have not been great in recent years. So they are the biggest threat, I would say. But at the same time, I don't know how good they they actually are. I mean, you look at the last time we played them in Euro 2020, and if we're being honest, we absolutely battered them. We should have won far more convincingly. So, you know, it's it, the draw could be a lot worse. I mean, going to Turkey in June, you know, the Lions then, as it quite often is, uh, away from home, the heat will be extreme. It is going to be challenging, I would have thought. Um, but look, I think we have got a good chance if people stay fit because I do think the draw has been kind. But I think if we'd had a harder draw, I would have a lot of doubts. But the other thing we've got to remember as well is that we are more or less, I think, guaranteed a playoff, regardless from the previous Nations League. So, you know, if we do, you know, fail to qualify in the group, there might be the backdoor entry. So, you know, we could be off the hook. And this is the thing with it being 24 teams, really. And I mean, you you do have a very good chance of of qualifying. So, you know, I think if this was a 16-team Euros, I'd have, uh, I probably would say we wouldn't qualify. But because it's 24, I'm I'm a bit op- more optimistic, and I'll. If I was pushed into an answer, I'd say that we will qualify. There we go. Well, I'll go with your two uh, educated judgment on that one. And we'll uh, look forward to ultimately a successful campaign, hopefully for Wales, um, starting uh, this weekend. Um, Gents, I think we all said it there, but um, a minimum of three points out of these two games would be... uh, would be an expected return. Anything more would be an absolutely lovely bonus. Um, I'll wrap this podcast up here. Um, Mitch, thanks as ever for joining us. Um, Hopefully next time you come on, there's been more boardroom shenanigans to talk about because with the rumour mill going as it is at the moment, that could be good news for once. Oh, God, yeah. Can you leave that till the summer, please? I I need a breather before then. Well, last time we spoke was just before an international break as well. So, hey, who knows? Maybe it's fate. Maybe we're just repeating it and we'll go back on it um, in the summer. So uh, let's let's watch this space, as you said earlier on. Fingers crossed there's something there. And, um, yeah, we'll all be refreshing the news to see um, what happens. Um, gents, safe journey out to Croatia. Hope you uh, have a great time. And um, to everyone listening, luck. It's the big one in a couple of weeks' time, isn't it? It's Cardiff away. The doob doob, as Mitch called it earlier, is on the line. It's uh, it's probably something we would never thought we would see in our lifetimes, and uh, the opportunity to repeat it the year later is uh, is quite incredible. And coming off the back of a two 0 home win with such confidence, now I think might be. Uh, giving the fans a little bit more of a boost. But you look at the game, Cardiff are going to sell out. It's going to be a huge fixture for both teams uh, for very different reasons. Cardiff looking to stave off relegation as well. If you're going, enjoy yourself, stay safe and um, sing loud and proud because um, this could be a very positive podcast next time we come on. And we haven't had too many of them this season. But from myself, Steve, and thanks again, Mitch. It's uh, goodbye from us. (laughs) 